The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast brought to you by The Athletic. It's, it's a podcast where we try and share our lives, especially on this weekend podcast, about what it's like to follow Watford Football Club as a fan. Uh, my name is John, with me this uh, Saturday afternoon is Mike. Well that was unexpected, wasn't it? Very much so. A point at Old Trafford since 1985. Uh, Jason's also with us. Good afternoon. See, it's a good afternoon from Jason. Not good afternoon, like it was. Indeed. Um, it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, whatever, uh, the thing that we had on a, on Wednesday night uh, against Crystal Palace. But, you know, as you say, Watford have got a point, an unexpected point uh, at Old Trafford this afternoon. Mike, but it did, well, did it feel the whole game? You, you did tweet this, uh, or you did message us on the, on the group halfway through, it felt like a cup tie, or felt like another cup tie, in fact, what you said. It, it did, but it, that that wasn't a surprise, was it? No, the fact that it was a, it had the cup tie feel to it, in as much as Watford were were up against it. No, no, no surprise at all, really. A bit people sort of. Uh, still gently mock Manchester, certainly not the Manchester United of, of Alex Ferguson, are they? But going to Old Trafford is still incredibly difficult. As we well know as Watford fans, we've lost on our last 10 visits to, to Old Trafford. So those people sort of glibly saying, oh, you might get something there, would we wouldn't expect to, to get anything out, out of the game. And that's the way it looked like it was going to go. Um, it was... All Man United very, from very, very early on, wasn't it? They had joy down both flanks. Ronaldo hit the post, Ronaldo was offside. Uh, Fernandez had a couple of decent chances, and it c- could have well, it could have been three or four nil by by half time, and probably they should have had at least two, really. But it wasn't, and um, we saw it through. We did the plucky underdog thing, uh, and we get a home replay. <laughs> which we win 4-1 by the way Mike no spoilers yeah, <laughs> yeah we, on, on aggregate we won 4-1 against Manchester United in this uh, by, uh, in this cup tie Jason though you know there's, there was a feeling I think Geordie asked you know could, could we smash and grab this could there possibility if we kept this clean sheet for longer and longer in the game was there a chance of a smash and grab now firstly ignoring <laughs> the fact that it was a close smash and grab for Ishmael Asar at the end of the game did you, did you really think that we could smash and grab it, though? No, no, because I mean, talk about that first half. Whilst we defended reasonably resolutely, there were times, as Mike says, when we rode our luck. But in terms of being able to attack, we we just couldn't string more than two or three passes together. It was it was very limp. When we did have the ball sort of in that final third, there seemed to be no... Um, it was just all a bit limp, I think, is probably the best way of yeah. describing it. There were opportunities that, that did come our way to sort of move the ball quickly and try and fashion a shooting chance never never really came about and I think it was until the second half and Dennis had a, had a shot didn't he that deflected off was it Lindelof maybe that it, it straight into De Gea's arms uh, I think that was our first attempt on target it felt like it was a, a concerted decision to basically bail on counter-attacks and look you know this isn't a huge criticism we've gone to Manchester United and, and got a point so we have to be we have to give them credit where credit's due but it felt like when they were going forward they were effectively checking out and 
the 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 Ronaldo goal, the offside goal, actually came from a really really poor part. I think it was Sissoko, was it trying to pick out Dennis? Not, not entirely sure who it was, but it was a it was it summed up our attacking sort of threat throughout. It was an under hit sort of pass that that just indicated a sort of lack of belief and and it just happened so frequently that it felt like it was a genuine tactic like right okay we're in the opposition half that is literally as far as as, as we're going to go no it can't be uh, that it cannot be that for, for me I think that there were times when it felt like there were times where we just sort of looked up hoofed the ball and if we'd sort of hoofed it over the heads of the United defence if we'd sort of stuck it in the corner stuck it out for a throw then maybe you'd say okay that's probably the case but there were times where I think there was one break. Uh, I can't. I think it was Dennis, and he had. I think he had Sartes left, possibly, and the pass was awful. Just straight yeah. to the to the fullback. There's a. There was loads of room to sort of get to attack and get in behind, and we just gave the ball away. And there was too much of that going on. Not not just the uh, obvious. Let's just get it out. We're not bothered about uh, looking to attack here in this particular situation. It was those times where we did have potential opportunities and we just gave the ball away and and sort of giving the ball away even in the defensive sort of third and our half of the pitch as well there were a couple of times where the tackles felt a bit last ditch but then we sort of we, we've got sort of got 50 50 chances we, we it looks like okay get a foot on it play the simple pass and we've just always almost like we've sort of over egged the tackle or over egged the challenge and sort of treated it like a clearance and sort of booted it five or ten yards further on when there's a player right there you could probably have just tapped it to made the pass turn and, and see if you can build from there where we're just sort of playing it that sort of extra five ten yards up, up the pitch back to a, a United player because we're defending so deeply and even I mean it was even one where I think we've tried to, to play it to Ngaki I'm not sure if it rolled under Ngaki's foot or he's sort of played a, a yard or two in front of him it's just sort of got out for a throw in a dangerous position and it was those the things that we should be in control of. We know going to Man United is very, very difficult. They are a top quality side. They've got Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo. They're bringing Jadon Sancho off the bench. They're bringing Rashford off the bench. All that attacking talent. We know how hard it's going to be. But when you've got things that you can control, when you've got a, an easy pass on, you've got to get those right. Um, thankfully, it didn't actually matter in the end because we got the, got the point. But um, we did ride our luck. I felt that there were moments when we, there were, my question I was asking myself during the game is, were we, like you sort of say, Mike, was the plan to not counter-attack? Was it not to attack and to stay defensive? It felt like there were several occasions, especially the second half, where you had a little bit more energy going forward, that it, the plan wasn't to go, go, go and try and smash and grab. It was, let's see if we can attack. But because so many men were committed to defence, every sort of run forward had to slow up because we didn't have the ability to just run and run and one one player couldn't run and run and run on their own for such a length of the pitch. You know, anyone who was attacking just all of a sudden felt quite isolated, be it King, be it Dennis, be it Saar. It just wasn't necessarily Yeah, it almost felt like somebody would come back for that, like the fact that is there a plan for how we are counter attacking Watford? It, it it didn't seem there, but the the possibilities were there. You sent the message on we 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 can't counter attack. And it and it and it, it's a it's a simple statement, but it looked looked true. And again, you do have to caveat it with without the opposition and where we were today, a ground that we've lost our last ten games in a row. So we talk about the players that we've got up up top. Emmanuel Dennis and Ismail Assar in particular, both have pace and both have sort of basic 
um, attributes that should be able to ask a few more questions than than were asked today. And this sounds like we're being really down on them. And, and, and again, I'll, I'll say we are credit where it's due. We've got a point. We kept a clean sheet. Brilliant. But just the the counter attacking as it was was just so, it was fascinating almost that we we weren't able to to unleash any any pace at all and I just wonder whether they were so sort of perhaps shell-shocked from what happened on Wednesday in terms of the, the performance there that we got you know we shipped four goals against a, a very very a, you know an average Crystal Palace side who've drawn at home to Burnley today they were in poor form and we just felt so worried I guess about shape after after that that we just didn't feel able to, to to commit because there was a lot of coming back inside as Jason said there was an, an inordinate amount of of poorly chosen passes and poorly uh, executed passes under hit just or, or slightly slightly miscued but under hit seemed to be the 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 overarching theme that seemed to happen more often than not and that just Obviously, there's a lack of confidence running running through the side as a whole, and that I think that probably really, um, really exposed that that lack of confidence, didn't it? If you're if you're under hitting it, but the fact that we weren't able to get those guys in behind just a little, just even a couple of times with it, just to let them let them off the leash a little bit with their pace, just to ask a few questions, it didn't happen at all. And you know, and Emmanuel Dennis, he is who he is, he is the player he is, but sometimes he he just does hang on to the ball too often, doesn't he? And the, the concern I have for the for the rest of the season is, and even watching the the Palace game, had we got something out of of the game on Wednesday, you'd still think, well, how are we going to go to the well and 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 beat five other teams this this season? Because it just doesn't look like the attacking threat or or wherewithal is 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 there. So that's all the negatives out of the way. We, we'll talk about the, the hope and the rest of the season a bit later on, but we, we decided after the Crystal Palace game where if you listen to Jason and Colin and I, there was a definitely a feeling of, as Colin said, we, he is at peace and I am at peace with, with relegation if it, it happens. Not that I've completely given up hope, but we thought, look, how are we going to get through this last 12 games uh, that we've got as Watford fans. We are going to find the Watford Top 5 of the week. Whatever happens, whatever the results, even if it's a draw, even if it's a loss, we're going to find five things that are good for Watford this week. So here we go. We've had a bit of negativity and picking a little part about the attackers. But what about this top five? I think the first five of our top was the fact that we played away at Old Trafford, one of the biggest, well-known, most famous stadiums in the world. And Watford are playing their games there. And we've, we've still got to visit a couple of big, new, but also historic stadiums in these last three months of the season. Mike, that's, that's a good thing for this week. Yeah, look. Basically, what it means is, is Watford are operating in the in the Premier League, and as football supporters, we want to see our team in action against the the best possible teams in on the best possible stages. And uh, and whilst I have to say, Old Trafford is looking a bit creaky behind the scenes. If those who are in the away end today will will know exactly what I mean. It does need a, a lick of paint and a, and a bit of looking after. It's still Old Trafford. It's still one of the most recognisable stadiums in world sport, really. Man United, one of the most recognisable names in in world sport as well, and yeah, to see our club competing against um, a team of that stature, yeah, it shows we're in the Premier League. We're still in there fighting, and I think we have a responsibility as as supporters to to enjoy that. If you can't enjoy your team being in the Premier League, then what can you enjoy? Uh, number four, Jason. By the way, these aren't always going to be in order, but the fourth, Imran loser, another 
you know, not stat. I think we can, if you don't win, I don't think you can call it a standout performance, but he stood out within Watford again, didn't he, today? Yeah, decent performance from him. I thought, as I said, the first half was a bit of a struggle for, for all concerned in terms of passing. Second half, I think we got it better. And I think in the in the middle of the pitch, I thought him and Sissoko as well linked up quite nicely together and were then able to start to bring the, the ball out and sort of loser. We know what you get from him. He can he can spray the ball around quite nicely and it's quite difficult when you're when your advanced players aren't advancing and, and sort of looking for the space. He had a job to do, he had to keep it tight as well as sort of using his, his passing skills and I think after the nervousness of the first half, it was much better second half. Yeah, uh, well done, Imran. He's getting better, which is what I like. He, he looks in a game where we've you know we've ticked off people who haven't necessarily looked in complete control. I thought he looks very happy to have the ball. He looks like he knows what he wants to do. He looks comfortable and and confident. So I think he's he's been a real. You know, I think John back to the that game we went to at the Amex, where he looked like he'd effectively won a won a competition. <laughs> yeah. The, the fact that he sort of at times was was pulling the strings from a Watford point of view uh, at Old Trafford against a against a very very strong opposition bodes well for him and and hopefully for us. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but if Watford are to get relegated, if we can somehow hang on to him, Ran loser, I think he could be a huge huge um, benefit to us in the in the Championship. He's he's a cut above. So he could be one that, if we if we are to go down, could make a, a massive difference. But I thought he just watching him stroke the ball about, look for a pass, pick a pass. He's one of those players who looks like he's got a little bit of time. Uh, yeah, I was I was impressed with him to, today, and he continues to make uh, make a case for being Watford's one of Watford's best players. Yeah, will he be the stay or will he be the we have to sell? We'll we'll talk about that in the future, further in the season. It's not for now. I just like those moments where he sort of gets really hounded and lots of pressure from the Manchester United players. But he could keep it control. He could turn and switch and and play it wherever. Need, he needed if it, if backwards again a few times today. Just love seeing and contrasting, like you say, from him in that Brighton game to him now is just like this massive, massive player. Definitely guaranteed to be most improved player this season. I think easily. Uh, Mike, the other third one was was Craig Cathcart. I think has to be in our top five this week. Yeah, I think he he showed a, put in an in an assured performance and and has continued to do so over the last couple of couple of weeks really and I think I'd, I'd like to add someone else into the mix alongside him because I think he's a big reason for Craig Cathcart looking looking good again and that's Samir particularly on the back of what I thought was quite a it wasn't a great performance I didn't feel from Samir on Wednesday night. I thought he had a he had a tough uh, tough uh, evening against Crystal Palace but he came back pretty well tonight made a couple of last ditch tackles as a center back pairing facing almost constant onslaught they looked all right, they didn't necessarily panic. They weren't sort of just hammering it everywhere. They they stuck to what they wanted to do and I thought they did it pretty admirably. So Craig Cathcart, when he gets the opportunity, he very rarely lets Watford down. And I think he's looked like the Craig Cathcart we've known over the years since since Sammy has come in and, and bolstered that centre-back pairing. So yeah, credit credit to those two, especially in the context of, of how this game unravelled because uh, unfolded, sorry, should I say. And it's down to them that it didn't unravel, in fact, because... You know, to look back to that first half an hour, it was it was carnage. It was it was only a matter of time. Everyone felt really until until United scored. You know, Geordie put that message out: "Can we smash and grab it?" Our response was: "Look, it's probably going to be three or four nil at this at this rate." And I think that's huge credit to those guys to to stay cool when you're getting a hammering. Take some doing, especially with what is it, sixty, seventy thousand uh, fans on top of you um, and, and and making noise. So credit to those guys. I thought they were I thought they were really good today. Um, I think number two, and I'm going to give this purely from uh, 
um, Eli, my son, we're watching the game here at home, and he said, cool, Ben Foster's outdone himself today. Um, and it really, really felt that. I mean, yes, he is only uh, eight years old. He did sound like he was 84. Jason, he, I think seeing him in the lineup alone made me feel a little bit more confident. And we've said that for, for months now um, when Ben came back after his his in- injuries. But today he outshone himself on several occasions against his old teammate, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> undeniably, he like you say, we said it before, he gives us more confidence. You'd expect that the, um, the defenders are probably more confident with him in goal just through his experience and played multiple Premier League seasons. He knows what he's doing in there compared to uh, Daniel Backman. He made a good a good early save from Bruno Fernandes, which was important. That, sort of, I think, set the mark. And what I think impressed me most about him today was his dominance of the box. Yeah. Because United were trying a lot of balls over the top, a lot of those sort of diagonal balls trying to find, sort of playing the ball down one side, then trying to find the runner on the opposite flank, sort of to come in narrow and, and sort of pick the ball up in the penalty area. And, and Fozzie didn't let that happen. He was sort of out quickly to those balls, taking them sort of assured hands. Uh, and, and I think that that really stood out for me from him today because it, it could have been a lot lot more difficult if he, uh, if he hadn't dominated the box in that way this afternoon. I noticed that as well. And I think, again, to reiterate the point about the, the credit to, to Craig Cathcart and and, Samantha, and, to, the, and to the others as well. But the, I think that's a huge credit to, to Ben Foster to be so dominant in such difficult circumstances, not to let it go to, not to let it get on top of him, not to worry, not to panic. Uh, and I thought it was very, very mature. He showed all his, his experience and you mentioned Daniel Backman and desperately trying not to not to be negative, but you you think well if Backman had been playing we would have comfortably lost the game. So it's a sort of bit of a backhanded compliment to to, to Ben Foster, but also yeah, it just shows that when your best players play to their play to the, the the best of their ability, good things can happen. They're setting the tone that save in the first half. You know, to the United players, seeing him in goal isn't going to scare them, you know, necessarily. But as that game went on, the more saves, the more impact he had on their attack, I think that would have sort of, you know, they, they would have expected, no, he's going to see this game out um, because of, of his vast experience. So saddest thing is it's probably going to be, you know, we've got what, a dozen games left of Ben as a, as a Watford player uh, towards the end of the season. But hey, hey, you never know. But the biggest thing, Mike, has got to be the fact that we got another point in the Premier League. Yeah, we talked about the first point since at Old Trafford since, since 1985, the third one ever. We finally got enough points for a win at Manchester United, or a league win at least. The, <laughs> the fact that it, it is a point, has that changed your hope at all this season? No, I don't think so. And I think you can tell by the tone of the way we're, we're, we're talking, really. Normally, an away point and an away clean sheet, especially in the context of, like we've mentioned before, that we've lost our last 10 games at Old Trafford. This is only ever our third ever league point there. It's a, it's, it's a pretty big deal, really, in terms of Watford's history and, 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 and in that regard. But in terms of the season... Obviously, it helps because it's another another point on the board, and I think we should, in isolation, enjoy it, rejoice in it, uh, and and make the most of it because it is an achievement, regardless of how Man United are performing, regardless of the opportunities they had, they didn't take them. We nearly nicked it at the end with a with a, a, an effort from Ismail Assar, which was you know relatively close. 
So absolutely, it's cause for, for celebration and we should enjoy it this evening, enjoy the rest of the weekend um, and enjoy the week, really. Watford have gone to Old Trafford and, and picked up a really, really hard-earned, valiant point. So that is that is cause for celebration and cause for, for optimism in terms of its impact on the, on the on the rest of the season. You know, who knows? We're still so close to that game on Wednesday night, aren't we? Where we saw a really decent result against Aston Villa. This time last week, we were all thinking, right, OK, we've got that glimmer of hope now. And then we've got a decent game to, to follow it up against, against Crystal Palace, who are out of form themselves. And we all know what... What happened there? So I think we're all a little bit hung over from from Wednesday, still, aren't we? And the sort of just the devastation is a bit is is over egging it a little bit. Just but just the crushing disappointment of following up what was a great result with a with a very very poor one. Because on social media, that 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 word that word hope has come up significantly over the last week. It's the hope that kills you. That's the it phrase. Is, that isn't is it? the it's phrase. The hope that kills you. And I think I'm never going to get hope this season because I don't want to be killed. But it you know that game today didn't really <laughs> add enough for me. But hope is the the biggest thing that we... (laughs) Do we need to ignore it, Mike? I think you just need to look for it in in different places. So at the start of today, we could hope that we got something from Old Trafford, and we did, and therefore we've got reason reason to celebrate. We could hope that the uh, that the home performances uh, are better, and therefore the the long suffering fans who who go to Vicarage Road week in week out get something to to enjoy and and cheer. And we can hope, probably against hope, that we somehow cobbled together enough <laughs> points to to. To, to be close to staying in the in the Premier League, so there's always stuff to hope for as a football fan because hopefully, hopefully, God, how many times are we going to say hope? If there's anyone that works for a company called Hope, let us know because you've uh, you've basically sponsored this the, this week's from the Rookery End. You'd like to think that your football club is always going to be there, so you always hope for something. So if it's going to be in the Championship, we hope that we're able to uh, to to create a side that's going to going to be successful in the Championship or competitive in the Championship and. And that sort of thing. So I think we've got to look for hope and avoid that phrase, you know, it's the hope that kills us. It's We got sucked back in after Villa and then got put back on our backsides after after Palace. I, see, I just wonder if we'd have felt differently. If we'd have picked up a point at Villa, then beaten Palace and lost at United, you'd have said, OK, that's a that's a fair return for yeah. Watford, yeah. you know, in those three games. And that's four points. And, and that's the number of points we've picked up in... Um, in this run of three games, is that result and performance against Palace that I think has has knocked us as fans, isn't it? It's the win, then the absolute yeah falling over and completely different performance. I think that it was the order that it went in is, is the f- thing that's sticking around for me in terms of my uh, feelings. Seeing us win at Villa sort of raises the hope probably higher than it has been for a while, and then the um, shellacking at home to Palace has just sort of knocked us off the cloud we were we were sort of sitting on after last weekend and it's that like you say John doing it that way round just just uh, sort of affected our emotions and our hopes there it is again um more than had it been a, a, a perhaps more expected draw win defeat i mean the reality is we've got home games against everton leeds brentford and burnley still to come so the bottom line is there is still hope because win those games and they will go close. That's that's the reality. Brentford have lost today. Leeds are still struggling. Everton go to Manchester City. You can't imagine them getting getting anything there. So if Watford do what they are even... They, look, they've shown what they're capable of against Villa and against Manchester United today. They've also shown what they're capable of in their game against Crystal Palace. So they are really Jekyll and Hyde 
Um, with it, with it. Which one's the good one? Jekyll or Hyde? <laughs> Hyde. It was Micah Hyde. I'm going to go with Hyde yeah. just for that reason alone. Yeah, but the, but the problem is their Hyde isn't actually that amazing. So I think that's why the that's why the hope is is perhaps a little bit bit stunted. But there's still and what 12, eleven games left, twelve games left, and there are teams around us that are, that are struggling. It's just I think we've been burned too many times to really believe at this stage. Um, I'm more than happy to get sucked back in if in a month's time we're still in touch. Hope is still there, but we need to find it in, in whatever form it, 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 it exists, don't we, really? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. Uh, we had a, a message from Sam Yuko. Uh, at, you know, for, for us as, as fans and Adam, even though Adam is a fan, but Adam from point of view of being a journalist speaking to Roy, there was a clip that someone sent us after the Crystal Palace game. And this is Jeff is part of the interview huddle that they have. Jeff from BBC Three Counties talking to Roy, and this is what Roy said. Roy, what's the message to the supporters tonight after that? I don't know. What do you want me to say to the supporters? I, I just wonder whether you had any consolation for them. Not really. He's, Sam saw that as him being rude to journalists and to fans and disrespectful. I didn't take it that. I don't take it as that. I do take it as him being very short after a defeat with the journalists and clearly a man of his age, oh, I suspect every manager in any league, wherever it is, after a terrible, terrible defeat uh, at home to your previous club, isn't going to be in a happy place. Do you like though, Mike, how short and uh, tart uh, Roy is with, with journalists? Does it feel more real to you? I, I, I do understand it. The last question, is there any consolation? Not really. And, well, he's absolutely right, because we were all absolutely on the, on the floor, weren't we? And then nothing that Roy Hodgson could have said could have, would, have, would have cheered us up or made us feel better. Um, you know, saying, well, we'll work hard in training next week and make sure that we, we perform, perform better at Manchester United. It's like, well, of course he's going to say that. So he can't, he can't find any consolations from a, from a performance like that. So I, I totally understand it. And the same also goes for a, for a message for the fans. He's not going to say sorry because he will be working un, under the opinion that he's done his job to the best of his ability and it hasn't worked out. And I don't necessarily think you need to apologise if you know, you've worked, you've given it your best and it goes south. Well, well, so be it. So on one hand, I kind of get it. He's also 74 years of age. He's been around the block. He's been coaching longer than I've been breathing. Um, so he knows he's been, been he's had his fair share of, of, of dreadful days at the office and he knows that it doesn't define a season or a, a career. So he don't need to sort of spend too much time trying to wrap it up, trying to play it up or, or play it down. So I do get it. But I also understand why, why supporters might feel a little bit, oh, crikey, we probably could have done with a little bit of uh, tr- someone trying to give us a bit of a warm feeling or a bit of a... A pat on the shoulder, or a or a bit of a cuddle, or whatever, to just to give us something to to hold on to. So I do get it. So from both sides, but your question: Do I like it? 
you know, I've been around the block long enough as well to know that it, what the managers say after the game, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. You know, take Antonio Conte after the after the, the Tottenham lost to Burnley, and under the you'd have thought the world was ending for for them, and they've come out and they they've won their next game comfortably. So, what matters for me is on the pitch, and I think as supporters, that's where we ought to be directing our our attention and our energies really emotional and and otherwise the, the proof of the pudding is is on the pitch that's where they don't want to be doing their talking the players and the and the manager so it doesn't ruffle me rile me as as much as others i understand where roy hodgson's coming from i also understand where the, where supporters are coming from that, that that feel that it's it's one in the eye for them as well there's loads and loads of Watford fans who make podcasts and do things on youtube oh, there's another new podcast this week if you like 90s Watford chat um, there's one called Oh My Word um, and it's their first episode but they're going to talk about Watford in the 90s so not exactly sure where that's going to go but do have a, a look out for it but there's one one guy called Charlie Charlie Zazara Charlie sorry if I got I butchered your name uh, he does a little thing on Twitter spaces before every game sometimes it's on a Saturday morning sort of just before lunchtime if you're on the way to the game you can listen in and he gets loads of people Mark you've been on a, on a few times but he sort of gets opinionated Watford fans to sort of talk about what's happened in the week and what's coming up. You know, that perfect time just before the before kickoff. This week, though, he did a bit different. On Friday lunchtime, he spoke with Danny Webber uh, as part of this week's pre-match Twitter space. And he hoped to speak maybe to some other former players of interest in the next few weeks. You can follow him at C-Z-A-Z-Z-E-R-A uh, on Twitter. And when he does those live, he pops up as it does on, on the top of your, your feed on, on Twitter. But uh, he spoke to Danny Webber this week um, ahead of the Manchester United game uh, and he sent us a little clip about that interview that he did with Danny and his time at Watford. You know, I remember coming under sort of Gianluca and he was so intense and meticulous about everything down to diet, you know, sleep with strikers. He, I remember him at the end of the session, he pulled me and said, right, this is now is when you start working. So the session had finished and him and Ray had put on a session just for the strikers where you're tired and he used to say at the end of the game you know you might be in the 93rd minute you can't be tired your mind's got to be fresh you've got to be able to work in it with a tired mindset and take that chance if it comes and um, he taught me a lot about body shape and movement and you know what you needed to be an an all-round striker especially because I wasn't the, the tallest so I didn't always couldn't always rely on my you know, on a physical presence. So it was sort of body shape, look after the ball. Things that I learned at United, he put a real professional edge on it. And then in turn with Ray at the time was reserve team manager. So I got to know Ray. Ray was not as blunt, if you like. He did it, he did it with a lot more warmth or, you know, with a different, a different tact. He did it with warmth all the time. But Ray always used to, you know, would speak to me and say, look, you know, you, you've got it, got your support. And I think Ray was Ray was really important for me, along with TB uh, Terry Byrne, at the time when, because obviously, you know, when I came in permanently with what happened with Jimmy and so on, I think it, it was I, I couldn't have had two better people around me at that that moment in time. And um, I think yeah, Ray had built we built that relationship with me being on loan with him and Terry, and it was you know the reason that I came back for a third time. I really found my feet, and from my point of view, enjoyed my time there. It was a real real important part of my growth because there was games where probably I wasn't at my best but I wasn't slated you know fans will always say come on you're alright next game and there was, a, there was a level of support that I think probably contributed to the relationship between Manchester United and Watford down the line there was a trust there the people who follow the likes of Chris Eagles and Tom Cleverley 
You've obviously got Craig Cathcart there now as well. Ex-United players um, that have that have um, come to Watford and probably experienced the same sort of warmth. Who was the best player that you played with during your time at Watford? You know what? I couldn't just say one, but I would, there was there was numerous for different reasons. I think Ashley Young. You could see it from early on, even though he was ever so slight at the time. You could see early on that he had the potential to play higher up and just took it in his stride. Haider Helgeson, I enjoyed playing with Haider as much as I enjoyed playing with Tommy Smith as well. We had totally different players, but we had good relationships, both of us. And then Bruce Dyer. You know, Bruce, I mean, I played with him again at Sheffield United and Bruce was a foil for me at times. He was physical pretty much like Haider. And, you, you know, you learn to adapt to, to each one. There was one standout when I walked in the building. I'd probably say it was Robbo, you know, Paul Robinson, because I, I remember looking at him thinking, I've got to be on my toes if I'm getting around Robbo because, he, he, you know what I mean, he's, he's intense and on the pitch as well, I think, because he played a lot more games than me at that moment in time. You pick things up as a player and players who've made debuts will know this. You look around your peers and think, Okay, that's what you do as a professional. Oh, okay, it's not quite like youth team football or reserve team football. And Robbo's intensity always stood out in my mind, and his you know his energy up the left hand side and his work rate. It was one of those that he was glad that you had in your team. So I probably miss one or two people. Well, I definitely miss one or two, but those are the boys that would you know stand out in my mind. Jason, Danny was one of those players who. You know, we had three times he turned up, sort of, you know, technically. But, you know, he had two loans and then he became a permanent player at here. You know, what, what do you remember about his time uh, at Watford? When so when he first arrived, there's always that sort of little bit of excitement. He, we, we um, as in fact, as Danny alluded to on the on the piece, the uh, good relationship that we had with today's opponents, ironically, Manchester United at the time. And we got a lot of decent players on loan and, and Danny was one of those. And you always sort of get, I don't know about you, but I get excited, or we used to get excited when these players would come in because you think, they, is this going to be the next big thing? Are we seeing the um, sort of the, the, the first early early stages of the career of someone who's going to go on to do big things and yeah he sort of added a little bit of spark to our our forward line didn't he we had a sort of i guess sort of some some functional players up front at the time i remember um i think at one point i think again he said he played with bruce dyer for a while and i always thought of those two as as being very different players, and Danny actually said, "What a, what a good job Bruce did as a, as a foil for, for Danny because he was because Bruce was actually quite physical because he was quite a stocky player, wasn't he, Bruce? Whereas Danny was very much about sort of pace and skill, um, and he did get some decent goals for us. I think the one that stood out for me was um, he got. I don't know, we'll have to check this. Like he got a late winner at Leicester, if I remember rightly, and that was sort of a time where again we were sort of struggling as a as a club and." Going somewhere like Leicester City, who, who had their new stadium, you felt that it was okay, not quite the the unfair competition of the of the Premier League as it has been, but in terms of haves and have nots at the Championship level or Division One level when we played there, there was still that that golf was there. So to to go away and, and snatch a victory with the goal that he scored that day, that stood out for me as, as a sort of a shining moment. The other thing that stood out for me was when he eventually went to Sheffield United around the time when we were sort of quite close rivals and we both went up to the Premier League together. And again, I think I'm right. Didn't he score the winner in the Premier League game at Vicarage Road? That hurt. That hurt. 
I've got a memory of, of Danny Webber as well. Me and Andy went to watch Watford away at Crewe. I think it was in 2003. Alec Chamberlain got sent off pretty early and Watford were down to down to 10, 10 men pretty early in the, in the game. Me and my brother had had a pretty heavy night the night before, so we were pretty... Uh, not in the best of states, not in the best of moods after after that. And I remember sort of us being slightly... Uh, we weren't that praiseworthy of Danny Webber's performance um, that day. And I don't think we were that slow in, in let, letting uh, letting our feelings known about it. It gave him a bit of stick. And then, of course, he popped up and scored the winner. Uh, and it's at that stage we realised that sat in front of us was virtually the entirety of Danny Webber's family. <laughs> so so that they sat there for 70 minutes listening to two hungover Burks uh, complaining about Danny Webber and he uh, he popped up and scored the winner. But yeah, he's fascinating to, to hear from him there. Well, a, a little just shout out to, to Charlie. These uh, the, uh, the Twitter spaces he's done does are, are well worth listening. He's been doing them for, for a while now. He started them in the championship. They are worth popping onto just for that little uh, extra bit of uh, Watfordy goodness um, before a match. So uh, fair play to Charlie. He's had some good people on with him. And as Jay said, it was you know Danny Webber was one that you you hoped was going to was going to go on and, and explode into a into a really really good career. And he and he did forge a, a, a decent footballing career. Of course, I think he's he's perhaps one that suffers from from coming from from Manchester United. I think some uh, it's, it's you coming from Liverpool now, isn't it? You get you get that sort of. Almost the the aura rubs off on you, and you you're expected to be of a of a certain level because you come from come from that sort of from sort of side. But yeah, it was a little bit of extra stardust that that Watford had at that time, wasn't it? And he he always felt capable of doing something something pretty good. He was he was had a really good touch, pretty skillful, and and could finish as well. He was a it was a good fun striker to have, wasn't he? I was going to say I fact checked my uh, my my two goals, and yes, they are correct. He scored the winner at Leicester, and then scored the winner for Sheffield United at Watford. Never in doubt, Jess. <laughs> There's a piece, actually, that he contrib- uh, Danny contributed to on The Athletic, went by Danny Ta- Daniel Taylor, uh, all about Jimmy Davis, because we know that was a big, big thing for for Danny um, and you know him and Jimmy coming down on loan to Watford. And it was uh, a mass- massively big moment for, for him and for, for us as Watford fans. But that's on The Athletic. If you aren't subscribed yet to Athletic, uh, then, of course, you should at least go and have a look and have a seven-day trial. Uh, you get to get these podcasts absolutely ad-free, not a one. When you listen via the website, uh, the Athletic website, or via the app, uh, you get to do all the re- writing of all the huge, massive, impressive team of writers. And, of course, all the stuff, who is also an impressive writer, <laughs> of Adam Leventhal, who will be back uh, in the week with another podcast that we do. We do this on a, on a weekend, and, we, and Adam leads the midweek podcast off and out or should be out for your Thursday morning. There's another podcast out, of course. We do like to support everybody uh, on From the Rookie End. And there's another Hornet Heaven episode out. And it's a very topical one. Uh, in the latest episode, uh, it looks at one of the changes in the culture that we're seeing at Watford even now. In 2022, Bill Mainwood, the other senior figure in Hornet Heaven, takes a stand against the kind of behaviour that people like Lamper, if you don't know, he is the hooligan from the 1970s, still think is acceptable. Here's a clip. In Hornet Heaven, a lot of fans have matches they like returning to again and again. You could call them comfort matches. Lamper is at his. It's Watford's local derby at Kenilworth Road in April 1969, 
There's fighting everywhere. 200 fans will end up in hospital tonight. Whenever Lamper comes back to watch this game, he feels he understands the world. He's standing on the Oak Road Terrace and he's shouting encouragement to a large group of Watford fans who are viciously laying into the Bedfordshire mob. It's thrilling. Down on earth, this was Lamper's experience of football every week. It makes total sense to him. What he doesn't understand is the 21st century. Things that were alright before aren't alright anymore. Someone somewhere has decided that some things are unacceptable and he's never been offered a say in it. How is that fair? Back here in 1969, you could boot people in the head and no one much minded. You had to outwit the pigs a bit, but that wasn't hard. The authorities didn't seem to care. They didn't do anything to stop it. And they weren't bothered about what people shouted at each other on the terraces. They definitely didn't keep banging on about diversity and inclusivity like nowadays. Hello, Lamper. I thought I might find you here. Lamper turns and sees Bill Mainwood standing next to him. Oh, gold. Not you again. Lamper, I've come because we are taking a stand. Hey, we usually take an end. Like these lads are doing in 1969. But yeah, we could take a stand too. Come to think of it, it's a brilliant idea, Mainwood. The scummers wouldn't be expecting that. I don't mean that kind of stand, Lamper. So you can check out that via wherever you want to get your podcast from. Uh, that's Hornet Heaven or HornetHeaven.com. Mike, the we've got a game at home against Arsenal. Are we hoping for anything? Got to hope. You've got to hope. I saw Arsenal a couple of weeks ago, and they look they look pretty decent against against Brentford. They look good going forward, very very fluid. But also they they struggle to to score goals. I think Saka and, and Smith Rowe are a real threat. I think Lacazette is 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 struggling a little bit in in that role. Here's me setting uh, uh, setting things up nicely for a Lacazette hat trick, <laughs> probably in the first half. But you know, Arsenal, we've known they 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 can be a little bit in and out. Hopefully, the Watford team will will have confidence from from their performance at Old Trafford today. Hopefully, they will they will get something. They will get some grit and determination out of the fact they've gone and withstood a Man United barrage and come away with a clean sheet and a point. Two things that we, no one in their right mind would have probably put any, any money on. I'm sure Watford have ruined a few, a few coupons and accumulators today. And, you know, they could take real, real credit from that. They, you know, they're still in debit in the bank, unfortunately, when it comes to, it comes to their performances, seven home defeats in a row, which is, you know, almost unfathomable. Uh, and I'm sure that there will be plenty even after today, who have probably had enough. But, you know, we'll be there on, on Saturday. It's another massive, massive challenge. There's nothing other than massive challenges in the, in the Premier League. And like you said, John, in our, in our top five of things to enjoy, and we were away at Old Trafford this weekend. We're at home to Arsenal next weekend. We're playing the best teams in Europe, some of the best teams in the world. Let's get there. Let's enjoy it. And let's, and let's see, see what happens. We go with a little bit more hope than we had this time three or four hours ago, don't we? A couple of things from, from me on that. One, Mike, if you go on Saturday, I wouldn't because the game's on yes, Sunday. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, it's, we don't have a Saturday game at all in March. Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Sunday. And, second, and secondly, I'm going to say I'm going to go into that game with no hope. And the reason is because I went into 
Wednesday's game against Palace full of hope and we were rubbish. Went into today's game with absolutely no hope and we got a point. So I think no hope is the way forward. <laughs> but there is there's pretty much no hope. Maybe, who knows, but we're going to at least have some hope. Does that mean, Jace, that if we, if we, don't, if we don't get a result on, um, on Sunday, it's the no hope that kills you? well we'll see what happens next Sunday uh, at Vicarage Road when Watford take on the Gunners thank you very much for listening thank you very much Michael this podcast brought to you by Hope no worries (laughs) and thank you Jason Uh, thank you Uh, and of course we'll be back on Thursday with Adam Leventhal for another From the Rookie End come on you all The Athletic